Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings and welcome to this edition of the Nonprofit Exchange. This is a series of interviews with community leaders engaged, inspiring, uh, facilitating, there's lots of different words, but community leaders that are active in fostering how people work together, collaborating, affiliating, joint venturing, partnering, whatever we call it, there's ways that people come together and work in a community that's much larger than any one entity can do for itself. So, Russell, you're way out there in Denver, Colorado. You got those young mountains. We got the old mountains here in the in, in the East Coast. We're in the Appalachians in Lynchburg. Well, yeah, those have been trampled over, so they're a little bit shorter than the ones we have out here. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I, that was a cheap shot. Oh, man. So my, my grandfather, uh, who's from Denver, he used to always say to me when he would come visit us here in Virginia, he would say, uh, those are mountains, those are hills. Yeah. <laughs> they're just jealous we got greenery that's uh, that's the voice of jeff kirshner really really good voice jeff has a well, well let me let him tell you jeff um you're in a really uh important position in the history of lynchburg virginia but you didn't you weren't always there tell us just a you know a few sentences you have a drama background you've you got a, a really important background that's set you up and prepared you for the work you're doing now and the work that's ahead well, I think the, the big thing is I grew up in the community that our organization is serving. So that gives me a, a particular uh, vantage point on, on who our community is and, and how it operates and what it works and what it needs. Um, but I did. I grew up here, but then I went to college in, in Philadelphia and lived in Philadelphia for seven years and then spent a lot of time in Florida where I went to graduate school. So I got both a perspective of, of this particular community, but also uh, had the experiences of being in other communities as well and, and seeing a lot, uh, particularly the time I was in Philadelphia was a time that um, a lot of, of uh, downtown redevelopment was happening right in the area where my college was. So, so seeing that and, but also having the, the experience of being from here has been, I think, a, had a lot of impact on how I view what we do here. You spent a lot of your life on stage, didn't you? I spent some time on stage. My, my father is a theater professor and, and I grew up uh, you know, very often in the back of rehearsal rooms, watching rehearsals take place. And I, I did as a high school student, I, w- I was an actor. And when I went to college, I decided that directing was what I wanted to do. And, and I think what I was most attracted to was, was creating experiences for, uh, for an audience. I was, that was, you know, sort of crafting and curating an event was really what I was drawn to. And, uh, and so I found my, my, my way from, from, being in and around the theater to orchestrating it, and then and then eventually found my way into arts administration. Arts administration, love it. Now your your office um, is sitting in the middle of a historic complex, I guess it is. So tell us a little bit. What's it called, and what's the short history of it? Sure. So our organization is the Academy Center of the Arts, and uh, we are uh, an arts organization whose uh, service area is the greater Lynchburg community, which is about 250,000 people. Uh, Our facility is made up of multiple buildings, all with their own history, which I could go into uh, at length, but, um, but we'll save it for another time. Um, but uh, but the, the, our anchor is a, in a historic theater was built in 1905, which we're just finishing the restoration of now. And that'll be one of two theater spaces in our facility, the other being a warehouse that's been converted into a flexible black box space, as well as gallery space, pottery studio, education facility too, with uh, art studio spaces and, and uh, dance studios. Now, this historic theater was closed for a number of years. What was the story there? It's been closed for 60 years. So the, the story of the theater really is the story of downtown America. So it was, uh, it was built in 1905. It, it actually burned in 11 and rebuilt in 1912. And it was a thriving uh, theater uh, during the vaudeville era. So it was a major vaudeville stop uh, here in downtown Lynchburg. Uh, and, uh, and then in the, as, film, as the advent of film came online, uh, the theater uh, really transformed into kind of a second-rate movie house. Uh, at one point, there were nine theaters in, in Lynchburg, in downtown Lynchburg, and this was one of nine. And, uh, and now it's the only one left standing. But in 1958 and the 1950s, 
Um, you know, we, we saw, you know, the deterioration of downtowns across America uh, for a number of reasons, which could be a whole other conversation we could have too. Um, but, uh, but now uh, there is a, there's a renewed interest in our downtown and the development of downtown. And this theater is still here and it's sitting here because it was designated as a historic landmark in the 1970s to stop uh, the Virginia highway system from bulldozing it. So it's here and has sat here empty for 60 years and will reopen its doors um, in just a month. There's a, a fascinating historical marker. This week, the opening week, um, starts with a couple of events. Now, um, Russell, Jeff and I got acquainted when I went to meet with him and his staff about a concert on December 11th. We're talking about in 2018, if you're listening to this in another, another year on the podcast. Um, 2018, uh, the symphony is performing, and they've asked me to conduct this very special concert. And it's, it's a, it's really a community gathering around the, the celebration of Christmas. And we have a community choir we've recruited. We have children's choirs. We have a black gospel choir. And Jeff, this opening week, um, and we're part of, we're early part of that opening week, um, it's the first time in history this theater has been racially integrated, right? That's right. So it was a segregated space in 1958 when it closed. And so, and also has uh, still in its architecture an original uh, separate staircase and separate ticket booth uh, that lead up to a, a second balcony, which was the segregated uh, balcony. So we've been very conscious of this. And, uh, and actually, the very first event that happens in, in the space, um, which will feature Mavis Staples, uh, is a celebration of the integration of the space. And we've been working directly with our local NAACP and with our area black fraternities and sorority groups, as well as a, um, a number of youth programs. Uh, and and uh, Diamond Hill Baptist uh, Choir will be performing. Leland Melvin, the astronaut, is emceeing the event. And a new artist named Devin Gilfillian, who uh, just released his new uh, EP, Truth, is, uh, is opening for Mavis. So we, we recognized that we were only going to reopen this space once. And we really view ourselves as a service organization that's here for our entire community. And in only having one opportunity to open, we wanted to send a clear message that this was not the space of the past, but a space for the future that is, is inclusive of everybody. Well, and we're continuing that with the symphony, with the Black Gospel Choir from the Ramp Church here. And we've got um, basically the choir, the adult choir that's singing represents the makeup of Lynchburg, Virginia. And, and so we're continuing in very, very soon after your, your openings on the 6th, I believe, mm-hmm. and we're performing on the 9th. There's a, there's a Saturday as a movie day and celebrating. Everybody can come in for one ticket and see as many movies. Five dollars. They can come in all day, stay as long as they want. Yep. That's a great, that's a well, great. And that's also, you know, talking about economic accessibility. You know, we really set out that if, if you wanted to see this theater, uh, we really wanted you to have the ability to do that. Um, and so there's a bunch of different price points that, that go throughout the week. We have a total of about 10 events. Uh, throughout the week with various price points. Uh, Lincoln Center Jazz and Wynton Marcellus will be here too. And, and obviously that's a, that's a, a pretty high price point. Uh, but even with that, we've been working to make sure that we have uh, individuals in there that may not be able to afford that otherwise. That's, that's, really, um, that's really awesome. Um, so this is the whole stuff about the Academy. Now, when you started this project, um, there was a sizable amount of money that was raised and a lot of people in the community got behind that. So I would say this is a very high-level collaborative effort. I mean, I would, would you call it a partnership, a joint effort? What would you call it where people came together with a vision for making it happen and vision for raising the funds? Yeah, I would say it was definitely a community-wide effort. I think one of the things that's been really unique and special about this project, and I think the reason that it's been successful, I mean, it's, this is a – it's a $30 million renovation project in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is not a very, very large city. And, and the way that that was possible is really it's, it's all sectors are involved. So there are individual donors, uh, the city, uh, the state, uh, with the historic tax credits, the, the federal government as well. Uh, corporate entities, most, most of our largest corporate entities within the city have participated. So uh, there really was a view and, and a coming together uh, that this was something that was, that was going to unify our community. And, uh, and we saw that in the fundraising. 
Um, but it wasn't always easy. You know, they, they struggled uh, to get this project to happen. And I think there are a lot of reasons why. Uh, some of that is even just the development of downtown and how far it's come in the last uh, five to 10 years. But, um, but certainly in the last uh, two, two years of, of, of our efforts, um, we saw everything kind of come together. Um, Russell, they call Lynchburg, one of the nicknames is the Hill City. And there are parts of it you think, oh, I'm in San Francisco. It's a lot cleaner here. And a um, lot, of, lot of hills. It's also, um, there was a, a Civil War battle in Lynchburg. And of course, down the road here in Appomattox is where it all ended. Uh, but there's a history here before the Civil War, Jeff. Lynchburg was a, a pretty giant economic force. Wasn't it one of the, the top wealthiest cities in the nation? It was. It was. Uh, uh, we were sort of, We were known for uh, for shoe manufacturing, and uh, you know, there was, I'm so sorry. I had this. Uh, my phone is linked up to this. Um, the uh, the uh, originally it was a crossing. I am so sorry. I am going to turn off my. <laughs> Technology never leaves us. Yeah, it? it's all my phone and my computer are all linked up, and so it's a little problematic. Sometimes but, it's helpful. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Um, Sometimes it is. So uh, it was originally a crossing uh, for those who were moving west. Uh, they could they could cross across here. Tobacco also uh, was the, we're on the James River uh, that runs out to the Atlantic, and so it was a, a way to get tobacco up and down uh, and throughout Virginia through the mountains. Uh, but then later we became a textile center, and so we uh, you can see it in our historic neighbor neighborhoods in and around the downtown sector. There are these really large, massive homes. There was a lot of wealth. Uh, that uh, that that came to the, to the city due to the, the manufacturing hub, uh, and it's still it's still a lot of the DNA of the city too. It's it's still built into a part of who we are and and how we operate. Well, and I'm really I'm sad that we've lost some of our historic buildings, but I'm really glad that we've protected some, like like the center where you are. Now, at what point did you come on board? Let's there there are people that are sitting in places where they can see. Oh, there's a project that I could be the champion for. Uh, let's talk uh, from the leadership perspective. And by the way, everybody on your team there, whom I've dealt with, um, has the same spirit of hospitality you do. And one of the attributes of fine leadership is that the culture reflects the leader. And so I commend you for that. You show up in a service mindset and everybody else in the culture is, is models that. So I'm, I'm recognizing uh, Jeff Kirshner as the leader of the pack there. And well, that, that's, that's your influence. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think though that we also are really lucky right now that we have a board um, as well. That's, that's very much bought into that. Uh, and I don't think I would have agreed to have come on to the organization uh, if the, if the board leadership at the time that I agreed to come online, uh, who wasn't who, who they were too. Um, and so it, it all trickles down. And, and when did you come online and why did they choose you and then move into what were your, your leadership mandates as you went forward with this new job? So I came on in 2015 and um, the organization was pretty broken uh, at, at the time. Uh, but I came on at a time that there were, uh, there was a sense, I think among city leadership that this was sort of it. They were either going to get this figured out and money raised uh, within the next couple of years, or or the value of this property was going to be too high, and this building was going to become something else. Uh, I was really struck. I was in Charleston recently, and I wandered into an Urban Outfitters that had had formerly been a, a vaudeville era theater. And I sort of thought, I was like, I don't know if it would have been an Urban Outfitters, but um, the value of the property as downtown continues to develop could have become something else—a special event space that wasn't necessarily a theater. It could have been a lot of different things, but. Um, so, uh, so when I came on, the, the organization was struggling. Uh, there was, uh, in my mind at that time, uh, th there wasn't really a clear identity of, 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 of the organization. And there also really hadn't been established really clearly what the value of the organization was. Uh, and so when I came on, I knew that those who were wanting to make sure that this happened really valued it. But everybody valued it for different reasons. So we needed to find uh, a really kind of a set of, of values that we could translate back out to the world and internally that, that linked all those things up. Because there was a lot of disjointed um, motivations behind why we should have this art center. 
Uh, and uh, some was oriented around the historic nature of the building. Some was, was oriented around, we're actually the merger of two separate organizations. So there was a, a Lynchburg Fine Arts Center that was the arts center for the city that merged with an organization that was here to restore the historic theater. And those two organizations had two different missions. Uh, one was to restore historic theater. The other was to serve, uh, was to provide arts and culture activity for the city. And those things have really been at odds, and it's really not going to be until next month that they really kind of finally kind of come together into one, uh, you know, into one. So we had to figure out a way to kind of bring all of these people together. Um, and so, uh, so I think kind of, you know, really what the decision was when I came on um, was that we were going to really push hard this notion that we were a service organization and that a service organization if our mission was to uh, improve the health of our community at large, then we could really make that fit within all of the desires that individuals had in and around the theater being renovated. Uh, somebody who cares about the historic nature of the theater or the building itself, uh, we can have discussions about uh, tourism, uh, economic viability in terms of the city at large. Um, but for those who care about the arts uh, and, and their benefit to a community, uh, we can speak to that in terms of service as well, too, uh, and specifically, you know, who we are, who we're partnering with, uh, how the arts provide um, a mechanism for other organizations to promote what they're doing, um, whether that be education or whether that be um, uh, improving the quality of life. So the service, shifting the mission was really key. We also changed the name of the organization during that time, too. Uh, it had been called the Academy of Fine Arts. And the branding and the visuals around the organization felt very, um, uh, felt very old school, I'll just say. Um, and so we really wanted to brand something that felt uh, vibrant, uh, relevant, new, and something that symbolized our future, which was a, which was a much more inclusive, accessible, um, open, welcoming environment. And so we created this multicolored open logo uh, and changed the name to uh, being the Academy Center of the Arts with this idea, too, that a center is a gathering place. It's a place where people come to gather, to congregate, uh, and to form community. And we thought that that also sounded a lot more accessible, too, than the Academy of Fine Arts, which was also as confusing. Is it a school? Is it something for visual arts? What is that? I don't really understand. Uh, but a center of the arts, we can kind of understand that somewhat, right? I mean, at least that evokes for people something um, that they can kind of get their head around um, relatively quickly. So we did that. We also had a lot of culture changes we had to, to face internally. Um, and uh, I'm, we can certainly get into that, too, if, if you want to talk about that as we move through. So I, I want to talk about the, um, the leadership challenges in working with lots of different people. Um, because this happened because a lot of entities got behind it. Fund, I mean, $30 million. That's the first time I heard that number. That's, yeah. that's more than pocket change. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of money. A lot more money than, than I had ever had any experience of being a part of, it, of anything of that much money. Um, yeah, I think, I think that it's actually one of the toughest things for me. And, I, and there are aspects of it that are difficult uh, when trying to bring uh, multiple uh, groups and organizations together for a common goal. But the common goal is the thing that we always try to return to is that we're really having conversations and dialogues about, um, uh, about what we're trying to achieve, uh, you know, and making sure that the goal is really clear so that if we keep our focus on that, um, it, it, we may differ on how we're going to get there. Um, but if we can continue to focus on the goal, we can usually find compromise and we can usually find a place where we can all land uh, that, that we can, we can find, um, um, you know, tie-ins for one another and end up get to, getting that goal ultimately. Um, but it's hard too. I mean, sometimes you can't make everybody's desires and wishes come true um, just because there are realities to running the organization. Uh, and there's choices that we have to make that are difficult and tough sometimes. But, um, but on the whole, we know that the more people that are on the bus, the better off we're going to be. Uh, and so we need as many people bought it as possible. And the bus is going in the right direction. So Russell, I heard some of our common themes here. You got a culture. Um, the culture is so important. The, the identity, you know, that not just the logo, but the branding he spoke about. Um, who are we? And then the value proposition. You know, what is the value that, that, that we, we represent? And then um, being anchored in those, those purposeful initiatives, Jeff. You know, you didn't say this exactly, but 
some people aren't going to be happy, but we're very clear on where we're going and we have some energy around that. And I, I must say the energy around uh, the city of Lynchburg and the pride around the city of Lynchburg in this, this center is pretty substantial. So it's, it's a part of our pride being citizens of this. This is a great city, uh, Russell. It's a little smaller than yours, but it's got a lot of oomph for this size. Uh, so Russell, are you hearing, you want to comment on some of this stuff? I've been dominating the conversation. I'm sure you've got a lot of uh, observations and maybe a question to take Jeff into this, 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 how do we unpack our duty in the light as a leader when we have all these different elements involved in all these different people. So Russell, um, why don't you weigh in here for a minute? Well, what we're, we're looking at is collective power and that's what makes collaboration so effective. And as a leader, the, the first thing that we've got to do is check our ego at the door because there's a greater purpose, there's a greater common good that we can all agree on. And when you've got that many moving parts, that value, that internal value, those core values that drive everybody, you have to have that agreed upon value. What's the most important thing here? And that's something that everybody comes to agreement with. Having that center there is very important Everybody's got different motivations. But when you look at all those motivations, your champions emerge. So you've got people that are working in their wheelhouses. Their, their genius is starting to show in different areas. And, and the sum is greater than the total is greater than the sum of its parts. So that's remarkable. And bringing people together is what you do as a conductor or as a director. Uh, it's bringing people together with different types of genius and making something really beautiful together and something that's effective. And so there's a lot of growth opportunities in there. There's, there's wonderful things that are going on. So, you know, I think the question that I would have for you as you were uh, looking at this whole thing and, 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 you know, a lot of things go through a leader's mind. Maybe this is too big for me. Or uh, what would you say was the one thing uh, that, that went through your mind as you made that decision to take this project on? Uh, what was the, the, the one dominant thought that was going through your mind, uh, especially after you said yes, uh, was there kind of a, oh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> What's, what sort of things, what, would, what was that one dominant thought that, that was in your mind at that time? Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I have, um, I have had moments uh, of you know, probably pulling up to the parking lot here and sitting in my car and taking a deep breath before I, uh, I walk in the building um, on certainly some days that um, – uh, that were tougher than other days. Um, I think that, I, I think one, one benefit, this maybe speaks a little bit to what Hugh was saying earlier, and, and hopefully this will kind of answer the question. Um, you know, w one thing that was always really clear to me when I came online is I had a really fantastic board president uh, at the time that I, that, that I was really starting. And, and this is Sackett Wood, who's, uh, who's the, uh, president CEO of, of Moore and Giles Leather, which is a company here in town. And um, I never felt alone. And so I think that one of the motivating factors for me, I think, moving through is I knew I had my part to play in, uh, in a larger um, uh, story and that there were a lot of individuals that were doing their part. And so I felt a real obligation that I needed to do my part for this larger group of individuals. And Sackett really instilled that, I think, in a lot of us. There was, um, uh, you know, a major city leader, uh, George Dawson, who was leading our capital campaign, and Sackett was getting the board and, and everybody else online. We had Rob Taylor, who was running our construction committee. Uh, we had uh, George Zippel, who was running the tax credits. There's $9 million of tax credits tied into this. Um, so I think a lot of it was an obligation to team. Uh, and you talked about kind of a collective and people coming together. I think it, it's the same there too. I felt an obligation to the rest of these individuals um, that I owed it to them to make sure that I, I got through this and did it, you know, got me out of the car when I sat in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those moments. Yeah. 
yeah. out of all of the people with all of these different interests, what's the one thing that all of them asked of you? What's that? Is there a common thing that all of them asked for you? And what would that be? Um, I think that, I think that they definitely asked of me to provide uh, a, a vision for what the organization was about and what it was meant to do. And, and I certainly think that I was entrusted to do that. And I think everyone has expected me to do that. And also to the, to their credit, I was also given the room to do that. Um, there was no point where anybody was telling me, um, you know, no, you know, you, you know, you, you can't, you know, do X, Y, or Z. It's not, you know, it's not what we are. Um, at the same time, I was also thoughtful about what our different constituents needed and, and what that meant. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think that that would be, uh, that would be what I would say. Oh, okay. I, I apologize, Jeff. I forgot to warn you that, um, that Russell comes up with the hard questions. <laughs> no, these are great questions. I love it. I'm going to turn a little bit. I got the sun starting to come into my, uh, yeah. That's I um so I've um those are really great questions uh, Russell we we sometimes and I know in my career there've been opportunities where I've searched forward and I thought oh I forgot this or I forgot I didn't think about this so there was some hidden hidden perspectives is um have you and I don't wouldn't expect so second what's second's last name Wood his um, just his a piece of trivia his mother was a famous opera singer yep. And yep. the plaque, the plaque for her is in my yard. Yep, I, I did. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a small Lynchburg, small town. It's a small town. Small town. She was a internationally known opera singer, and yeah. uh, her son Robbie lived where I live in this house for a while. And so I was here my first week. It was dedicated to her. Um, there's a lot of important influence here, and certainly Jeff Kirshner is a person of influence. Have you? You've had. Um, this is really key. The part you mentioned about having a board chair, but also a board that, that interfaces with you and is, is supportive. So mm -hmm. as you're bringing in external partnerships, collaborations, community efforts, how important is the board's role in that process? Oh, they're, they're crucial. Um, so I, I, I definitely, you know, you know, obviously, you know, they are my boss. And so I, I certainly view that relationship in some regards in that way. Um, but I also view them as an extension of our, our overall team. And so we need to, um, uh, you know, really work to keep them uh, engaged uh, and involved in what we're doing and, and keep them caring about what's going on. As a matter of fact, we're actually in the middle of a transition with the board and we're really being strategic in this in that uh, they are about to reach a major milestone that they've been working towards for years in the completion of the historic theater being built and opening next month. And so we have been really strategically shifting uh, the board's focus towards a new set of goals and a new set of objectives to keep them motivated and engaged and involved in what's going on and how we move forward. Um, they also really become for us a litmus test of, of, you know, what our community needs. So if we view ourselves as a service organization, uh, it's really important that our board reflects uh, a wide range of, of, of uh, constituents within our community. So we, we're really working, and in some ways we're, we've been successful with this, in other ways we're continuing to be a work in progress, but really making sure that the board is really reflective of a wide segment of our community so that we really have a group of individuals that can really give us uh, a proper feedback loop uh, in regards to how we're doing, how effective we are. Um, and so they become really critical to that. And if they don't, you know, if I don't have them engaged and don't have them activated, um, we're, we're in real trouble. Uh, and, and so, uh, so that relationship is really crucial with them. And, and certainly outside partnerships are regularly come into play. Uh, we're really lucky. Our board is a pretty networked group of individuals. And so it's quite common that, uh, that we will find new relationships and new collaborations through them. We also run things heavily through committee. So our committees are, are really active. Uh, and, and that's where most of the board activity happens is at the committee level. So our board members are able to get a lot more engaged. They have projects that are kind of specifically theirs and, uh, and that allows us to keep them focused and, and engaged. There's, there's, um, phases of projects in 
you alluded or you identified one major milestone as opening opening the theater. Mm-hmm. Now there was a uh, probably a phase of concept phase, and then there was a, a funding and construction phase. And now there's the launch phase, and then there's going to be this legacy sustainability phase. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. I'm just making this up, but it just kind of we're in evolution or however we view it, right? Because I, I also view that we're going to be we're a constant work in progress, right? If, if uh, evolve or die, right? So, so we also talk very often too about how are we evolving from year to year? How are we responding to our environment, which will inevitably change? And as a service organization and what we provide, how does that need to reflect what the community actually needs and, and what, what it will value? Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And, and so, you knew, um, I think you know that I served as music director for megachurches for 40 years. And my church was a facility. It was a center. It was a was a place where we hosted uh, international artists and did our own program. So it was the center of the gathering because I was the music person for the music in the community. Mm-hmm. But it was also, we did workshops. It was also nurture. And I see that happening and it becomes more about events than connected, being connected with the community. So as you talk about your board being in the feedback loop, it's, it's empowering them to have conversations and, and a lot of the mainline churches, there was a, a sad article last year in the Washington Post that said at the current trajectory, the mega churches have 23 Easter's left because they're not doing that. The ones that are, that are in danger haven't really remained relevant in serving the community and being relevant to the community. So from where you sit, you've got these partners that came on board to make it happen. How will they be instrumental along with your board and your staff in Keeping, keeping current with what the community expects and needs and wants. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have to be constantly listening. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I've been reading um, uh, the book New Power. Oh, this is terrible. I'm forgetting, um, forgetting the author's name. He's the executive director of 92nd Street Y in, in New York. Um, but anyway, the, the point of the book, New Power versus Old Power, right, in terms of this, this notion of, of new power, um, a lot of it happening through, you know, through social media, through the digital sphere, um, you know, the, the public is empowered in a very different way than, than they were once before. Uh, an arts center like ours, an institution in the past would have been, um, we would have been curating what we believe the community should be receiving and they, out of, out of a social obligation or um, cultural obligation, would have in turn come to the facility to take in this thing that we were providing them that we had said was important for them to see. Um, but the relationship doesn't really exist that way anymore. And, and, we, and we still have an obligation to provide um, cultural experiences for our community. And at times, we do also need to introduce them to new things. Uh, and I think that that's really important. And actually, one of the things that I find really difficult in running an arts organization uh, in an era of new power is, is that uh, is I don't get to just sort of decide myself, um, here's something really great. I think you should see it. Um, because if I just do that, um, I'll be out of a job really quickly because, unfortunately, people probably largely won't be attending as much as you'd like them to. Um, we do need to do that occasionally. But we really need to be responsive to what the community wants and needs. And some of that's actually empowering the community themselves. So an example would be, you know, we were really struggling uh, in the first year, as do a lot of organizations, in making sure that we were, uh, really had diverse audiences. Uh, and we were making the common mistake of sort of saying, well, you know, we're going to um, provide uh, programming that we think that the black community in Lynchburg wants to see, right? But we didn't really know what that was. And, uh, and in turn, right, they, they, they weren't interested in what our opinion of that was, and they didn't connect. Uh, and what we did the following year was we began to turn the space over to organizations and groups um, that uh, for them to curate their own work and to use the space to create uh, community events for themselves. And we found that we were much better at, uh, at accomplishing our goal, which was to make sure that we had a much, much more diverse audience moving through our facilities. Uh, and we were, we were providing our mission, right? We were serving the community um, by providing this facility and space to these organizations to provide their own events and activities, which is much more connected to the culture and much more connected to what they wanted to see than anything that we were going to prescribe or provide to them. So, um, so we've been working really hard um, in ways like that, that we, 
uh, really evolve in, in sort of providing opportunities. The great thing is it's a facility. So, you know, it, it, you know, what happens in that facility is really wide ranging and flexible. We just need to be kind of open to hearing what uh, people want and then providing them opportunities to engage in that. That's really good. Russell, what's coming to your mind? Well, you know, value is in the ears and eyes and hearts and minds of the person you talk to. And to be relevant, what we're talking about is bringing the community together. And the community's made up of a lot of different people. So you have to talk to all of those people. And I think the the important thing to have in mind with, with something on this scale uh, is how do we talk to each other? How do we engage each other? What's the best way to do that? And once you figure out how to do that and you've got those, those, uh, those ground rules that everybody can agree on, you can get anything done, absolutely anything. So, uh, and yeah, it's important to keep, uh, keep, uh, keep doing what's called empathetic listening constant listening, constant conversation, keeping everybody engaged and to something that matters to them. So with, with that in mind and with all of the things that are going on in the community, uh, in looking at, at this center, if you had to boil it down to one really important thing that you do, uh, what would that be? Uh, in regards to the organization, like what, what in, in regards to the organization, what's what's the most important thing that the center can do to serve the community? So right now, in this particular moment, I think what's really important is that uh, it goes back to this idea of us being a center and a gathering place. Is that uh, I think we're living in in a really divisive time where um, most of the rhetoric and most of the things circling in and around us are telling us how different we are from one another. And, and how evil and how bad the other side is. And, uh, you know, through cultural experiences, through gathering um, and in sharing an experience is an opportunity that people have to, uh, to have an exchange uh, and to realize the humanity of the other individuals in and around them. And, and you know, we, we, can, we can be a place of healing in a time where I think a lot is ripping us apart. And we think a lot about that. You know, we, we actually took our, our community theater program uh, and and rebranded it something called community through theater and formed a committee of ten individuals and told them that your mission is to create uh, you know uh, theatrical activity that brings people together across barriers and it's a bridge building uh, you know uh, program and and they did that um, and they have been working to do that so um, it's not always easy and it's and it's interesting you know we live we live in a city that um, like, like many towns across the United States, is, is divided right now um, across, you know, uh, political, religious, racial lines. And so I think that's the most important thing we could do right now is bring people together. That is huge. Um, Russell, your, your questions always lead to really important stuff. So um, did you have another one brewing there, Russ? Well, it is. It's bringing people together. And that's what nonprofits do. They bring people together to create change. You do that with people that write checks. You do that with people who take receive your services. That's all about bringing people together. And if if you can think of a way to bring people together and and work for the common good and, and put your own uh, ideas on the shelf for a while in favor of being open for some new things, you can get a whole lot done. And that's the nature of collaboration. Lots of things happen when nobody's obsessed with getting the credit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, it's, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It is important. And uh, so we have a lot of challenges here in Colorado, as well as in other places, uh, with schools and with younger people. Uh, and arts are being taken out of the schools because of budget cuts and those types of things. So in, in looking at the community out there in Lynchburg, as far as finding ways to engage uh, younger people, uh, what are some ways that you're looking at doing that? Uh, what's the goal there? And what are some ways that you're looking at doing that to build those bridges among our future generations? 
Well, one of the most important things we have here is we have, we have a lot of education pro, ed, education-based programming. So um, like you speak to, you know, our schools in varying degrees, uh, arts programming, uh, you know, in some situations is strong, in some situations it's not. Uh, and so we, we offer a lot of, of arts programming here uh, and that's education-based. And, you know, I'd say two-thirds of the students that move through here are children. And we find that that by uh, engaging these kids uh, when they're kids in particip- participation-based uh, arts activity, um, that uh, we find that they're more likely to stay with us for the long run uh, as they get older. And 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 you know whatever community they find themselves in later, they're more likely to probably engage engage in the arts. Um, but it's not just as simple as those who come to us. You know, we, we have uh, you know, tuition-based students that are here. We do have scholarship programs. About 30% of our students move through scholarships. But a lot of it also is that we have to take a lot of our programming off-site uh, and go into schools. So we have uh, a number of programs that operate like that. We have a program called Kids Out Loud, which is a songwriting uh, uh, program that, that goes into area ele- elementary schools. Uh, we also look in our greater area. We have a lot of surrounding counties. And so we do an arts week uh, in collaboration with the Alta Vista YMCA. And so we, we go out to Alta Vista and, and run a, a whole series of, of week-long arts workshops and camps uh, with that YMCA. Um, we also do collaborations with our, our local um, Boys and Girls Club. Uh, we've done a lot of different things uh, there on site uh, at their location. It's just a you know, we talk about busing and transportation, a lot of obstacles that are there for individuals. Uh, it's, it's really important we take things to them. So, so there's a lot of that. Um, we've also worked on a programming side. Uh, you know, we, we, have a, um, we have a young donor society called Mix. Now, now granted, these individuals tend to be uh, young professionals who are, who are of means, um, but they've been a good sounding board for us, and we're sort of thinking about how are we being culturally relevant, uh, you know, what kind of artists are we bringing through our facility who's performing on our stages that they're going to care about that, you know, and so in a weird way, they kind of work like a younger board for us in terms of feedback loop and information on what artists they're interested in seeing, who they want to participate with. So, so those two things are things that we've been working really hard on. Uh, granted, too, I, as I get, uh, I'm still on the younger side, but as I get older, um, I, I get more and more disconnected too from from what you know <laughs> what new music is happening, and so we, you know we're also working really hard to stay on top of it. That we're reading regularly, paying attention to what's happening in arts and culture, what are the trends that are going on, how are we staying on top of that. So, um, so those would be the two major ways we're doing it. Um, Russell, I'm in this concert that I'm conducting in December. Um, Jeff, you may not know this. We have a, a whole uh, choral music program from Heritage High School are singing with us in the choir. Awesome. So we do have some very good music programs in, in the schools here, Russell. And then there's a whole elementary choir coming from Hurt just outside of Alta Vista. You're right on Hurt's in the suburbs of Alta Vista. <laughs> and 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 their title one school, so we've raised scholarship money just as a grassroots donation effort to pay for them to sit in the concert with their parents. And, and I cannot tell you how excited the children and their parents are, A, of singing with the orchestra, but B, coming to Lynchburg and s- seeing that theater and being a part of history. And they don't know what it means yet, but they're going to know. And so we're, you're right. We're building our f- future audience, but we're connecting with those multi-generations. So what my goal with the choir, well, first, I wanted to have people I could sing. <laughs> but after we got that, I wanted to have the diversity represented. So we have church singers, community choirs, barbershoppers. I mean, we have a, a wide range of people coming together. And when you're sh- singing with people, you're not, you're not arguing or shooting them. <laughs> you're doing something together. Um, so so um, without really understanding the fullness of what you're doing, it, there's, a, there's a great sense of accidental, of course, there's nothing accident, accidental collaboration here with what we're doing and the spirit of what we're doing. Um, Speak a little bit about um, leadership challenges. You, you said every day wasn't a perfect day, which you didn't say that. I made that up. It's, you know, there are days that are more challenging than others. Oh, right, yeah. how, do you, <laughs> how do you equip yourself? Um, do you have things you read, advisors? Uh, you have a support group. How do you equip yourself to get past those spots? And you, you, you say you're getting older, but you're way younger than us. 
So how do you equip yourself to meet those challenges? And you've evidently risen above many of those. I'm sure all of them, but how do you equip yourself to get, to make that step? Yeah. I mean, as you all know, um, leadership can be a really isolating, lonely, um, place to be often because, um, because it's sort of your job to make sure that everybody else is okay. Um, and, uh, you know, and who's sort of checking in on you and making sure you're okay. Um, you know, you bring up support systems and I, and I think that those have been really key. I was really, really lucky, uh, in that in the hardest time period here, uh, when I came in, I, I, I the, the staff was pretty broken, um, they had, they were pretty disillusioned and they had gone through a, a really rough period. They had gone through furloughs and, and there was just a lot of stuff sort of going on and they were, they were pretty broken and we had to make a lot of changes, uh, during that time frame in terms of the culture of the organization as well. Unfortunately, some staff changes too, which were really hard to do. Um, but during that time frame, I was actually moving through the, um, national arts strategy, national arts strategies, chief executive program. Uh, and I had actually kind of accidentally, not accidentally, I, they, they didn't know where to put me. I had applied for a community fellowship program that, that National Art Strategies runs uh, through my previous company, End Station Theater Company. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't know where to put me because the organization was, uh, we were doing community-based work uh, that was really art, uh, art of place, creative placemaking work, and the program was really built around that. But they thought my organization was a little bit larger and kind of doing more than the fellowship program was really serving. So they, they went ahead and put me into this executive uh, program where I was by far, I was with 40 executives from around the world, and I was by far the smallest organization in the room. And I, and I even felt a little overwhelmed by it. I felt like I was a fraud, that I wasn't really supposed to be there. Um, but I somehow slipped through the back door, and there I was. And we spent a week at Vanderbilt. Uh, we spent a week at University of Michigan, Ross School of Business, and we spent a, a week out in Sundance. And um, the first week that I went, I, I, I was, I had, you know, discovered that I was going to take, or I, I hadn't moved into this job yet, but the second two series of, of, of events, I was, I was uh, in this job and I had taken this job. And around me were all of these experienced uh, arts executives who uh, had gone through these similar things before. They had gone in and changed the culture of organizations. They had faced a lot of things that I had been facing. I was also taking classes from professors uh, at Vanderbilt and at, at University of Michigan uh, and at Sundance uh, on leadership and culture change and all this stuff. So this was all happening for me uh, as I was moving through it in real time. I and mean, it was really incredible. And so I had this laboratory. And when I wasn't even there, I, we, we had online digital conversations. I had people I could go directly to and sort of ask specific questions of, you know, hey, I've got this problem. I've got the situation. Can you help me? And that mentorship, those group of mentors are huge. And they still remain actually people that I still turn to to this day. Uh, and I also visited um, other uh, facilities and locations uh, and took notes, uh, learned things that they were doing. Our service orientation, a lot of that stuff that we've been doing didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it came out of, out of a lot of, of that program and, and how it guided me. That's amazing. So there's, there's a lot more than meets the eye about leading um, an emerging initiative um, and then maintaining it. So, um, what is your biggest, uh, we talked about the future. So is there, is there anything about leadership and, and community efforts that we haven't talked about that you just want to get on the table before we we're running out of time here? We got a few more minutes. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, I think forgiveness is something that I would, I would say, um, you know, and I, and I don't, I think by forgiveness, forgiveness of those that you're working with, um, your staff, you know, or, you know, your staff, um, your board, um, but also of yourself. Um, you know, I think we have had a mantra. We just did a staff retreat and, um, and we did an exercise called silver lining and everybody, uh, discussed things that they had done that they had messed up on or something had gone wrong, um, here at the Academy. And, and then we all sort of forced the conversation to the silver lining of those moments. Like what came, what was the positive that came out of that? What was good? You know, what did we learn from that? Um, is there something we discovered that was a result of that, that we would have never fallen upon or come, come to if we hadn't has sort of gone through that. Um, you know, everybody is human. We all make mistakes. Um, I need to be patient with my staff and those that are reporting to me. 
um, be kind to them, understand that, you know, and everybody's got their own personal things that they're dealing with um, as well as what's going on at the workplace. Obviously people need to accomplish their jobs. They need to do their jobs appropriately. Um, you know, there are things that need to happen and there needs to be repercussions for not doing your job and, and not, you know, being on the bus. Um, but at the same time, you know, we really need to build an environment where we're forgiving of each other, but we're also forgiving of ourselves and myself included. You know, I mean, I think there, um, I make mistakes. I mess things up. Um, I need to correct them. I need to address them, but I also need to, to forgive myself and, and realize that, you know, I'm human and these things happen. That is so important. That is so important. Um, I'm going to do a, a sponsor message here. And then I'll, I'll hand it back to you, Jeff. In, and in that whatever amount of time you need, what would be your thoughts for leaders anywhere that are about to tackle a big project? You know, what, what, what would you like to say to them? A tip, a comment, a perspective, anything you want. What would you like to say to leaders who are stepping into something that's big? And, and really, what I've heard you say in this this interview is that it's an initiative it's not about simply a facility or an organization it's really the centrality of the influence of the arts in lynchburg virginia and how we come together and value our own you value the creative efforts so so your vision for this and your vision for leadership is really bigger than any one entity is what i'm picking up russell you are you hearing the same thing well, everything that we tackle is bigger than, than we are ourselves, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And making sure that we're in the room with people that support us and, and, uh, and just working toward a common theme. And uh, there was one question that was brewing around uh, because one of the things I've come to see is that the most phenomenal leaders are people who can build leaders. What's the most important thing that you think that you can do to make other people around you better to elevate them? Trust. Um, trust. Uh, we, we, uh, we have to trust each other here. Um, you know, I, one of the greatest rewards I think in the last year for me has been that I have, I've, I'm really comfortably now delegating. So I spent a lot of time, um, uh, sort of just moving things where they're supposed to go as opposed to doing them myself. And, and, and there's so much now that, that that's plenty moving things where they're supposed to go is, is a full day of work. Um, but, but, but trust, I really need to empower my team um, and they need to know that I trust them. Um, they need to not operate in a culture of fear. Uh, if they're, you know, if, if they feel like, you know, um, you know, we, we get heated here, we get emotional sometimes, but then we say, I'm sorry, after we're done. Um, you know, people need to feel that they're in a place that they can, um, they can grow and that they can do what they need to do and accomplish how they need to accomplish it. And as long as everybody understands the big picture, um, different, you know, different management styles, different, you know, execution of work can happen. Um, it doesn't need to be the way I would do it. Um, it just needs to get done and the goal needs to be met. Love it. Your, um, your wisdom exceeds your, your, Linear years, sir. That's good. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to have uh, talk about our one of our great sponsors, WordSprint. Then I'll throw it back to you for your closing thoughts or challenges for leaders. And then Russell will will take us out of this really really helpful interview. WordSprint.com. It's like the word fast. WordSprint um, is a print house, but they're a mailing house. And what what WordSprint helps us do at CenterVision is stay in touch with our stakeholders. People donate money, they volunteer for a project, and we say thank you. But then we've, we've not staying at the top of mind. So marketing is important for all of us that run charitable organizations. And creating a pathway to, to build those relationships, to maintain those relationships, and to keep people in tune with the good work that we're doing. So Bill's two decades of research, Bill Gilmer and his team um, know exactly the, the rhythm, the message, and, and how to identify the people that are the stakeholders, the supporters of your charity so that donors remain donors and stakeholders remain stakeholders and advocates raise the bar on their advocacy because we're maintaining the relationship and we're letting them know what has happened with their volunteer time, the gift of their talent, or the gift of their money. 
wordspread.com, ask for free consultation. It's the missing piece for most charities. We're not staying in touch. And he uses mail, printed pieces through the mail, and it cuts through all the noise of email and, and the noise of marketing. And it's really quite, quite brilliant. So our, our sponsor, he prints the magazine, we mail the magazine, we stay in touch with our tribe wordsprint.com. Ask for free consultation, and it'll open your eyes to the possibilities of that really good support we have from those people who want to support us. So, Jeff, what do you want to leave people with today? So, I, I was thinking about that. You asked that question, and, um, you know, I think that uh, a risk, uh, taking risk is really important. Um, you know, the you know, we had to evolve a lot and we had to change a lot here and we had to, um, uh, you know, we had, we had to, we had to make a, 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 we had to get a lot of other people too to take a leap of faith with us also. Um, and we, uh, we need to do our homework. Like we need to do a lot of research and we need to spend a lot of time thinking and we need to spend a lot of time brainstorming. Uh, strategic planning is really important to our organization. Uh, in the three years that I've been here, we have, uh, you know, we have uh, developed two separate uh, strategic plans. We, we just finished our most recent one uh, and we'll, and we'll do it again in, in another year or two. So, um, so we need to have, to, we need to have a, a plan laid out. Um, but we also need to be willing to uh, shift off of that plan when we, we see that we need to. Uh, and also understand that the ground is always going to be changing underneath us. And so we need to be taking uh, risks and, and we can't stand still. Uh, we can't sort of stay uh, doing what we're doing because it's comfortable and just kind of live in that. And that's unfortunate. I kind of wish I could just chill out and just do the same thing over and over again. Um, and it would be formulaic and we just get, you know, everything that we needed back again. But, um, but we can't, uh, we, we have to be, whether it be in programming, whether we're testing out new things, um, uh, that we have never been done before, uh, whatever that is, you know, risk is, is really, really important. Um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, I think, uh, and this goes back to much of what you all have been talking about, which I think is, is really the case is that, um, you, you know, mission is key, right? Um, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about the mission. Uh, I, I had a, this happened here in the city. I, this is a really valuable personal experience that happened to me when I was a kid. I was, I was, as Hugh said, I was, on, I was an actor when I was younger and I was in an acting conservatory in college and I was surrounded by all of this selfishness. I and mean, there's all these people that were really focused on themselves and the way they looked and who was paying attention to them. And, and, and I wanted out of it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I had been home uh, lifeguarding at a, a Miller Park here in the summer months. And uh, we had, a, we had a, a drowning occur and I had, uh, um, I dove in and I was the first to her and, and, and pulled her out and our assistant head guard performed CPR um, and they brought her back. She, she, she had stopped breathing. And when I lifted her out of the water, it was, you know, that sort of that phrase dead weight. Uh, you could sort of feel that. Um, and that's a thing that will always stay with me. But I, I watched our assistant head guard who was a, who was a training to become a paramedic at the time, uh, bring her back. And I thought that this was just the most amazing thing that, that he was going to spend his life um, saving people. And I was going to school and I was around all these people that were like just completely <laughs> self-absorbed. And I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. And uh, I had a teacher um, at, at, at University of the Arts in Philadelphia who said to me, um, well, you know, if John was the, was, the, was the guard, if John's job is to bring that girl back to life, then your job is to make her life worth living as an artist and, and somebody in the arts. And um, that really has always stayed with me. And I thought about it a lot being back in this community where I grew up. And I don't know what happened to that young girl. Um, she's, a, she's a woman now. Um, but, uh, but I think about her a lot. And I think about the community she lives in. And are we as an arts organization making her life better? right? Are we making this a better place for her to live? And it's not really, I mean, I certainly will personally benefit also because I live in the city from, from an art center that's functional and healthy uh, and my son and my wife will too. Um, but, but it's not about us per se. It's really about a larger community and, and people outside of us. So it's about service. Excellent. Yeah. And we, we provide tools to help people come into their own here at Center Vision. Great stuff. I really want to thank you for coming on to talk with us. Love the work you're doing. Uh, and it is. It's, uh, we're into something that's larger. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'd like to thank all of our friends for coming here to join us for the nonprofit exchange and our wonderful sponsor, Bill Gilmer at WordSprint, the right message to the right people in the right rhythm. And 10% of it's the good appearance and his work is good looking stuff. Give him a shout and have him uh, take you through. And uh, so yet again, uh, we've come to the top of the hour. I'd like to thank all of you out there who are making an impact and making a difference in your communities. Remember that you're not alone. There's a lot of genius out there for you to tap into. And that uh, when we wake up and look at what we can bring into the world, it's going to become a better place. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Hugh. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.